Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the truth that you are in control because we need to know that truth right now with all the different things happening and not just in Bible study, but in just the cars and homes and schools of those represented here. Um, I pray that you would teach us, love us through your word and through one another. And as we do partner with one another, um, we pray for Ellie as she's sick. We're sad she's not here. And we pray that she would get better very quickly. In Christ's name, amen. So hopefully the Wednesday night is going to hear Ellie in person. But um, we are, uh, Ellie was supposed to teach today. And so she has COVID and, and it just, she can't shake it. So, um, so be really sweet to me as I step into her big shoes. Uh, she had written her talk and I read it and it was just so pretty. And I considered just reading it, but I just, it just was, I, could, I couldn't do it justice. You needed her cute little voice to do it. So I would have been imitating her the whole time. It just didn't feel right. So anyway, um, I'm going to start off reading our passage. And then uh, your handout kind of shows we're going to quickly just go through these three questions. First of all, I'm titling the whole thing, Why So Happy, Paul? Why So Happy? Okay, because he's really happy. And honestly, today, maybe not feeling it. Um, so why joy? Why hope? And then why love? Why is that what he asked for um, on their behalf? So let's read our passage, Philippians 1, 3 through 11. I thank my God in all remem my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay. First of all, joy. Really, Paul? You're in prison. You're in prison, and you're writing a letter, and what we know is coming in this letter is he knows they're struggling. He knows what they're struggling about, and it's not all pretty. And joy, like my friend uh, Paula Miles says, uh, what does she say? Never mind. I just have to paraphrase. Basically, joy is not an anesthetic. It's joy does not make pain go away. So you can be joyful as Paul is and be suffering, which is very, uh, we, we kind of can't hold both those things. I kind of feel like I either have a good day or a bad day. Um, I'm either joyful or I'm suffering, you know, and we see Paul is joyful despite all the things that are happening, not just with his private life being in prison, but also when he loves this church so much and they're struggling, he's about to deal with that. And he's not like, uh, he's not, he's not in la-la land here. He knows it, and, uh, but he is still joyful. So why? Why in verse 4 does he say he prays with joy? Um, well, first of all, in verse 5, and we, we talked about this a little bit last week. It's because they're partners. They're partners in the gospel. They're partners in this effort to get this 
news about salvation out to the whole world. They are part of something that is going to change lives and they're working together for that. And I have to say, you can kind of pick up that this might be one of his favorite churches. Um, that just like you have that kid or maybe you have that nephew or that if you teach school, you're like, oh, that kid can come up and I will help him all day long because he's just sweet. He's not as much trouble, <laughs> you know, but may, he just has this soft spot for them, even with their struggles. And no wonder they've actually been sweet to him that while other people have not been supportive of Paul and Paul is learning, like Paul is needy. Paul is, Paul, we think of Paul as super Paul. Paul needed help. And this little church has been so loyal to him, not only in just not ignoring him, but actually sacrificing and sending money, sending Epaphroditus, sending an actual person there. Um, they are, they're sending their love. Like, they are so invested in him. So, of course, that love breeds love, you know? Um just their partnership and he has been with him in good times and bad um he has really really benefited from them putting feet to their heart and so i just want to take this little moment just to challenge us do we consider how to help others and partner with others in just actual practical ways um not just a oh like if somebody talks to you and you're like, oh, honey, I'm just going to pat you on the back and say I'm praying for you. Yes, please pray for me. But if a mom like has three kids and is trying to get out the door and her husband's home at sick, sick, maybe besides praying, you should say, can I carry something for you? <laughs> maybe your heart actually challenges your hands and feet because Paul, rece Paul received actual help, not just we love you from a distance. Um, how, how can we partner with one another, especially in the context of church? Because that's what Paul is talking to them in this church context. Church is not just a building on a hill where you pass by and go, oh, I go there. Church is like we realized last week, a partnership. It's a commitment. It's, it's you're like, you're in it together and how does that look between Sundays because church family just like a normal family doesn't just pop up one day a week and so can we consider that to be a partner means I might actually do something and I might let someone do something for me because the flip side of that is I don't need anybody and I don't want to be beholding to you um, when I had little kids, like I think I was put to bed with my third pregnancy. I had two little boys. I was put to bed at six months. And my great aunt Thelma, who is sweet, sweet, she was just that, I don't know, I forget, I'm not in Mississippi, but she was like quintessential old Jackson, Mississippi. And she looked at me and she had um, her gold earrings on and was very cute and dressed and peppy. And she like, oh honey, you're gonna owe everybody a meal. And I was like, I know. <laughs> and I'm like, that's exactly why we don't want to take meals. And boy, and I had no choice. I needed them. I was in bed all the time with two 
run, just kids. So anyway, that is also something we need to work on is receiving. And um, God has put me in lots of positions to where I have received. And now I have to say, if you ever a question, I'm always up for a meal. You can always bring me a meal. I'm just kidding. So I've learned that really the hard way, and now I'm really good at it. Um, so accepting help is also something that we need to do as partners. Um, one of the reasons this is so important for us to kind of focus in and use the Bible study bully pulpit for it is I have to say the culture of our church is so key to the culture of the women. And I don't want to be sexist right now, so if, excuse me if I am being that, but I got to tell you, women hold a lot of power in driving culture in any organization, but in the church I see it. And so if we as women are busy and just a high-bye kind of culture, that is going to spill out into Trinity or wherever you go to church. If you're the type of culture that is approachable or that is you have margin in your life to be able to slow down enough to go, hey, why don't you come over and let's talk about that? Or can we? Can you bring your kids over and, and they play while we talk? If your if your culture as women are like that, it is going to make it's going to work itself out just like yeast and bread. It's like salt in a soup. It is going to make Trinity more flavorful and better. Um, and so that's something you as a woman at a table in a in a fellowship hall really have a part in. And it's it's it does matter. You may think your little seat in the church, your little place in the pew doesn't matter, but it is. It has the potential to impact um, for really good things at Trinity. So, as we discussed last week, do you even see your church family as partners? And for that kind of commitment, for that kind of uh, taking up brain waves for you in your busy life, um, do you think of how you can encourage and share with others? Um, but anyway, there's another reason he has joy, though, besides that they've just been really sweet to him. And they're like, they've just been through so much together. And because of them sharing and him accepting and the way he's poured into them, they're just tight. And he has that joy. But he also has joy because he has hope. And it's not because they're so cute. And it's not because they're just so loving. And it's not just because he was such a good missionary preacher and that he writes such great letters, even though these are inspired, really, this is God's word. But it's not because Paul was so good or they are so good. Their story is going to have a happy ending. In verse 6, you see, he's saying, look, the reason I have hope and confidence is because when God starts something, he finishes it. And didn't we see that, that teaching in the Old Testament when we were talking about God's people and how he brought them out of Egypt? He, and Moses even brought this to God when God was like, I'm done with these people. What was the argument Moses said? But look, you well, people are going to say you didn't finish it. And God always finishes what he starts. Um, it's not just because he's stubborn about it. It's because he's God, the God who can make what we see every day in the universe, that can keep the moon on schedule, that can, you know, have the seasons always kick in. 
that kind of God that makes grasshoppers and an ant can lift so much of its body weight. I mean, when you start really contemplating a, a person like God, of course he's going to finish what he starts, even if you are a mess. And even if your church is a mess. So he, Paul is just, he's got joy because he's not worried. And he's not anxious because God is responsible for this church, not him. And God will finish what they are doing there. And, you know, he needs that confidence. And he, he can look back. Remember last week we talked about how they started in Acts 16? It was not a stellar, like, this is how you do a really good church plant. Um, let's be honest. Trinity was a pretty successful church plant because it had so much going for it. It had people. It had money. It had the support of a mama church. It was like, man, this, this thing is is fun. This is this looks like it's gonna work. Their church plant, this little church, it wasn't even a plant, it was a sprout that happened in the middle of a sidewalk with the most unusual people. You know, we had the diverse first three people we meet in Philippi, Lydia the businesswoman. So there weren't weren't even six men to cobble together to do a synagogue, okay? So you had the the woman who was Thank goodness she did have a house to have church in, so that's good. And then uh, this, the, the demon-possessed slave girl couldn't be any more different than Lydia. And then you had the Roman jailer. Are you kidding me? And what's so interesting is that, that that's, that's the um, DNA of this church, is the diverse, unusual start. And so it's all obviously dependent on God which God loves those kind of situations because he gets the glory. He gets the glory. Um, he delights in using these unlikely things to spotlight his power. But this is the other thing that the, the word, he is going to bring it to completion. This has the feeling of finishing touches. Okay, now these are the things like, okay, when I moved to Texas, now I still have not been to Magnolia, but it's on my thing I've got to do. Because our, our women's retreat speaker, she said, can I stay so I can go to Magnolia? I'm like, yes, we will do that. <laughs> that's what makes you happy. We will do it. Uh, then I will go. But if you have followed my, uh, Joanna Gaines at all, you know the best part of the show, well, for me at least, is when they've kind of finished the house part. And it's that night before when he takes the kids and they bring her food and they leave because she's putting up the finishing touches. She's hanging the stuff. The stuff she envisioned when they were drawing it, she's actually getting to do the fun part. That's what Paul's talking about. God has already built your house. This stuff we're doing now, he's putting the finishing touches on. He's putting the finishing touches. Now, I don't feel like I'm there. I feel like I'm still in construction mode, okay? And what Paul is saying is, no, this, this is what God's doing. He is going to make sure that you are finished. And that means all this stuff is, is that stage of making you complete. Because you are, a, you are saved. You are belonging to Jesus. You are family. But, but it may not be where you're exactly the way he pictured you being at the end. And that's what he's getting you ready for. So you may feel like you're still in mud and plaster, but the truth is you are already built. And um, 
you know, in John 14, 3, Jesus tells them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to start building your mansion. But this is the flip side, and, and he's building you into a mansion. And he is not going to let you just be unfinished. So Lee and I in Oxford built a house. We had been in faculty row housing with five kids and two dogs. One was a puppy who went to the bathroom every, like there was not one inch of that house where I could step without looking, okay? <laughs> and we built this house, but we had to be out of faculty row. And at some point I called my mother and I have to be honest, now that I think about it, she did not jump for joy at this opportunity. <laughs> I said, I'm homeless for a week. Lee is going to stay and paint and get the certificacy occupancy permit, but I have five kids and two dogs and can I come live with you for a week? <laughs> I don't remember that week. I hope she doesn't either, but I remember, <laughs> this is what I remember. I remember that my week was over and it was like a, a Friday or a Saturday and Lee, I, I come in, and if you have kids or dogs, you know what this was like. I come in with the car seat, with Rebecca was in the car seat. My kids are all little. We walk in. Lee can't greet me because he's painting and is he's gonna paint, and he can't drop paintbrushes because he's got paint all over him. So he couldn't help me. And I walk into the kitchen, and if you've ever been in a construction zone where people work in your house. Um, I literally was like, I have no place to put my baby that's safe. Cigarettes, Dr. Pepper cans, salt, like nobody had thought, oh, this woman's coming in with her kids. Let's clean off a countertop. No. And I, I'm literally going, my house had a permit to occupy, but we could not occupy it. That's where you are. You have a permit. Jesus, his spirit lives in you. But he's like, I think we need to put some finishing touches on this. I think we need to put the baby seat down somewhere. So that was a low point in my life that I'm glad at least paid off for an illustration. So, <laughs> so anyway, so Paul's view is it's not just about die and go to heaven. We, we know from his other writings, and we'll see later for Luke, to die is gain for him. To die is gain because he gets up to Jesus. But that's not the view. The view he's got is the day of Jesus, when we will all be moved in completely. And this joy and crown congregation, this, this like, this is his crowning joy, like little group of people, he knows they're gonna make it. So he can be happy, he can be joyful knowing that's the end for them, even though they do have some uh, Dr. Pepper cans and cigarette butts lying around. So let's park it here for just a second. How does knowing that impact your suffering today? And I know there's, there's suffering. It's suffering from the last minute COVID diagnosis where you have to get your kids out of school and you can't go on your trip. I know it's the doctor's office where you're waiting on that test result about something like cancer or a miscarriage. I know it can be where's my next paycheck coming from? Where am I, what am I gonna do with my life? What is my husband gonna do with his life? It may just be just anything where you feel the weight of the world um, and it's hard to have joy or confidence. How does this, this end game help you get through the, the uh, move-in process of your house? And how's this long-term view help you with your loved ones? Like, like, I can do that, but when I start thinking about it for my kids, that's a different ballgame.
because I'm real impatient for them to get their Dr. Pep cans out. And <laughs> can I trust God with that? So our church dynamic, how does it help with that? Um, how does this end game, this confidence that God is going to finish what he started, help you with church issues? Maybe like we, we know what's coming is this, this, like we mentioned it last week, there's some girl drama in this church. How is what he's saying gonna give them comfort and a bigger picture where you're above the trees and you see the forest of this work is going to be completed even though maybe what you're thinking about is that tree of conflict or tension you have. Um, also, how do you think about investing in a sure thing? Um, you know, when Lee and I lived in Oxford. Lee was really involved with his job working for Ole Miss and building something there. And he had so much fun doing that. And then we were also involved with church and building something there. And we went back to visit. And there were things going at Ole Miss that it was different than when we had been there. And you saw a shift and you saw a change, which is fine. That's what institutions do. But it was such a contrast between what he had built and invested in at work and what we saw when we visited our church there, which when we left, we were part of them drawing their church plans. And so we visited their church that had been built. And you're just going, wow, when, when I think about what we invested, because I have to tell you, sometimes I've had the thought, is this really worth it? Is this how I'm gonna look back and go, I spent my life on church? Like everybody in the world thinks that's crazy. Why would you give money to a church? Why aren't you building a better house? Why aren't you sending your kids to a better school? Why aren't you buying a better coat? I mean, car, why are you, why are you carrying the weight of a messy church when you could be doing all sorts of easier things like going on vacations? Why do you spend your weekends there instead of other easier places? And I have to tell you from experience, we had it contrasted and I was like, oh my goodness, work stuff shifts very quickly. Church stuff, while messy and can shift, there's the long game. And we could see it in flesh. And it was so enlightening for me. And I just wanna encourage y'all to not give up on church and not give up on God's people. It's worth the investment because we know that investment, how it pays off. Jesus is coming back and he's gonna finish what he started. So lastly, when Paul is praying for them, he's praying with joy, but what is the ask? He asked God for them. They are being persecuted. They've got internal conflicts. Why doesn't he pray for those mean people to go away? Why does he not pray for them just to get along? Why does he not say, give, give those two women some sense? I mean, he, I mean, why does, what does he ask for? He asks for love to abound. And it's a specific kind of love too. So first, he loves them. He loves them with the heart of Christ. Okay, one commentator I did read said that Paul's heart was so tied to Christ. He was so abiding in Christ that his heartbeat was like Christ's heartbeat for them. And that, for some reason, made me feel so loved. 
And, you know, think about your leaders. Think about Brian. Pray for him to have the heart of Christ. Because if he loves you like Jesus, there is no other kind of love. And that's the kind of heart we want for one another. Um, his words about affection for them, that kind of word is like a gut feeling. Like I, and I'm telling you, I cannot explain it, but I have had that kind of feeling more about my church families in my past than about my actual family. And I have a great family. But there's, there's this pull, there's this sense of, no, I love you. I will Tell me how to help you. And you're like, why is lifting this burden so light? I feel like we're those fake weights at the circus where, you know, the strong man lifting it. You're like, that's 100,000 pounds. And then the little clown comes and picks it up. That's what it's like to love somebody that's it's not natural. And that's the kind of heart we have for each other. This is the kind of love that this partnership this gospel partnership produces it is unworldly and it's Christ-like and it doesn't make sense. It's not the way we were taught to love unless you were taught the Bible. Um, John 13, 34 through 35 says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So maybe that's why that was his big prayer. Just let him love. Let him love more and more. That's, that is offered to you. That is one of the finishing touches Jesus is putting in your house. Is he has given you love. The kind that you can't conjure up. The kind Jesus has for, for you. So, given the problems the Philippians are facing, that's the request. Uh, not a change of scenery or circumstances, because that's usually what I pray for. I don't usually go, I'm suffering, will you give me more love? No, that is not on the tip of my tongue when I'm having a hard time. But that, this kind of love will produce fruit. It will produce change. You will see something on the outside, and you see that in verses 9 through 11, and how they treat each other, how they have courage to stand up against persecution, how they think and act. And this is interesting. I didn't really notice this because probably I was freaking out while I was reading this passage. <laughs> going, what do I do? What do I do? Who's he saying that he wants them to love? He doesn't say specifically. He's just praying for love. So it's, the way I think of it is if you are loving, if you have love abounding, it pretty much spills over anything in your path. Like if I put on perfume, I don't choose whom in the room will get to smell my perfume? You're just going to smell it because I'm wearing it. Um, if I turn on the light in a room, I don't say to that light bulb, oh, by the way, I only want you to shine that way. No. He just wants them to love. Then they will love God. They will love their neighbor. They will love their enemy. They will love the people persecuting them. Love will just be spilling out. But this is not a blind love. This is a thinking and discerning love. This isn't just, I just want to feel loving to everybody. No, this love is going to be a little bit more hands-on. And this is where we wish uh, we had a manual. Um, Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary, says, Love and insight need to go together. To love is to have the motivation to help discernment enables us to see what the real need is 
And this is your second plug for the Winter Conference, because that to me is what he's going to be talking about. Yes, we need to love. God gives us love. Now, how do I do that well? It's love with discernment. Um, it's a smart love he's asking for, and he's asking the source for them on, for, on their behalf to give it to them. This is how you get that smart, discerning love. He's, you listen to God. You spend time in his word. You sit in his presence, and you start wearing the perfume of love he has on. And you just smell like it. Have you ever gotten in the car with like a grandmother or somebody who has this distinctive, wonderful perfume? My godmother used to wear, wear oh, it was wind song. Oh, that's old school. And if I smell wind song, I am back at her, you know, in her car. Okay. What is God's wind song that by getting in his car, you kind of smell like wing song when you get out? It's that love. So sit with him. Pray to him. Read how he loves you. Read how he says this is going to look. Soak up that love so that like the moon you reflect that sun's light. And we will have that beating heart of Christ when we need it. So if that, and that kind of love blossoms into the fruit of holiness. You see, you see him list all these things. Purity, which in a sense is not just being pure. It's more being who you are and people can tell uh, that the truth about you is clear and clearly understood. He, he says this love will produce you to be blameless. You're not going to sin. I mean, we know you're going to sin, but you're going to sin less. You're going to cause other people to sin less because you're changing in that way. It's going to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, a life that is right with God. Um, now, these are all the signature finishing touches. Just like we know, Joanna, if you go into a house Joanna Gaines does, what are you going to see? You know it. Shiplack. Shiplack, shiplack, shiplack. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I never knew about shiplack until I watched that show. You're not going to go into a house and see gold-covered columns. You're just not. You're going to look at that house and go, oh, this looks like a Joanna Gaines house because it's got shiplack. These things are God's shiplack. Your house is going to look like the decorator decorated it. God is going to put this in your walls, in your closets, on your ceilings. He's going to put blamelessness. He's going to put purity. He's going to put the fruit of righteousness. That is what your finishing touches are going to look like. And you're going to be able to, when people walk into your house, they're going to go, oh, I've got that shiplack too. We have the same decorator. And he's, he is putting finishing touches on both of us. Yes, we still got those cigarette butts lying around. But boy, I am so glad God's not finished with me yet. And perhaps this is the prayer request we need to start including in all our prayers for ourselves and each other that we will love. And when that is overwhelming, I want to leave you with this verse from Ephesians 3, which was a really turning point for me of how much I need God and how much God is the reason I not only was saved, but will be completed. Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he can afford any finishing touches he wants. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I need God's help just to love, just to respond to his love. Like you would think if he loved me, I should be able to pop back and love well. No, I need him to strengthen me even in that. And so that's our hope. I am excited for you. Like Paul is excited about the Philippian church because I see a group that God is responsible for and God is finishing. One little shiplack, row at a time. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good to us. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for not leaving us um, wandering and fighting or being distracted by other things. We thank you that you promised to love us and to finish us. And that not only applies to our lives, but to our church's lives. And just for the things we're investing in, Father, we know that one day we will look back and you will, you will say what, we will look back and go, what was our life about? And you give us a map. You give us a horizon point to, to fix our eyes on the day of Jesus. When you come back, and between now and then, Lord, we need you. We need you to give us love, not only back to you, but to one another, and, and to accept love from each other. And in your son's name we pray. Amen.